Hey everyone, it's Ella, your host of the Lemon Said Podcast, a platform dedicated to supporting you by discussing all things related to managing your health, wellness, and fitness journey, no matter how many lemons life throws at you. This episode is sponsored by Naturally Elisa, the hormone, gut, and skin whisperer. Elisa is a successful registered nutritionist offering a variety of services from live blood cell analysis to quantum reflex analysis, offering you personalized protocol to improve your life. As a loyal listener, Naturally Elisa is offering you one free consultation and 10% off her live blood cell analysis and weight loss program. Visit naturallyelisa.com today to book your appointments and redeem your promotion code LEMONADE10 at checkout for a limited time. That's LEMON AID10. Today, we are going to speak with a registered psychotherapist qualifying, recognized by the College of Registered Psychotherapists of Ontario. She has successfully completed her Bachelor of Arts with Honours in Psychology from York University and her Master's in Counseling Psychology from Yorkville University. Although born and raised in Canada, coming from a Caribbean background has fueled her passion and lifelong interest in human abilities and behaviour, including neurodiverse individuals and their families. She is also passionate about supporting and celebrating diverse cultures and spectrums of sexualities, focusing on being an ally to Black, Indigenous, and people of colour, immigrants, and refugees. Without further ado, I'd like to welcome Rhea Bridge. Thank you so much, Rhea, for joining us today. I really appreciate you driving Mm -hmm. a whole hour (laughs) in Toronto traffic. Well, thank you for having me. I wouldn't drive out here for anybody, so thank you. Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. So we're actually going to get started with some fun questions. Okay. Okay. I'm just going to, I'm going to ask you quick questions Mm -hmm. and you're just going to come up with whatever comes to mind. I don't want you to contemplate. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever comes naturally, all right? Okay. Okay. Go to karaoke song. Uh, I don't do karaoke that often, but um, I would do Honey by Mariah Carey. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you, you you definitely would do Mariah Carey. Yeah. Your husband likes Mariah Carey, too. He does. <laughs> he does. <laughs> <laughs> Makes total sense. Last Google search. Oh, this morning we were watching um, Love is Blind. So what is it? Um, the guy, he was like, check the receipts. So I was like Googling his Instagram to look at the receipts. <laughs> I have to tell you, we've been, we've been hearing about Love is Blind for the yeah. last like three days. It's a, it's a train wreck. <laughs> it's also very addictive. It is. It is. Salty or sweet? Um, hmm. Sweet. Sweet. Okay. Yeah. Have you ever pulled a prank on someone? No, I'm pretty boring. Like, I'm pretty <laughs> vanilla, so no, not prankful. <laughs> a true professional. You know? <laughs> Are you an introvert or an extrovert? I am an introvert that presents as an extrovert. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. I would have never known that you were an introvert. Yeah. <laughs> You're good at pretending. No. Okay. Practice makes perfect, though. You know? <laughs> When life throws you lemons. Oh, um, you throw them back. I love it. <laughs> so far, we've been getting make lemonade, which is which is our tagline, yeah. make lemonade. Yeah. But I love the uniqueness. <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay, so now we're actually going to dive into some more serious questions, but I hope you still have fun. Of course. So what is your favorite hobby or what are you most passionate about? Um... This is an in progress. So I used to be a person who read a lot of books, like mm. Stephen King is my favorite author, but with married life, mommy life, you know, school, haven't had time to read and anything I read is really academic. Um, so I'm currently trying to find a hobby that I like. I've been trying Lego. Lego, um, okay. Yeah. Do you do that with your kids or? Uh, with my husband. That's our like, you know, activity together Cute. when they're in bed. We kind of try to do the Lego. Um, what else have I tried? I think for now that's it. The Lego I'm trying. I'm trying those um, adult coloring books. Mm-hmm. So nothing stuck yet. So we'll keep trying. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. If you had to write a book, what would it be about? Oh boy. Um. Hmm. Uh, it would be about. I think my life as a twin. Oh, that's so yeah. cute. <laughs> Actually, I'd love to talk about that a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> How is your life as a twin? It is like it's it's good. Like, you know, you know, growing up, we were very close and, you know, when you go through the adolescent stage, you're kind of changing and then grew apart a little, but we're like super close now. We have so much in common and That's amazing. Part of being a twin is like finding your own identity and your own friends and that was difficult, but I think for us, me and my sister, like, we figured it out, so. <laughs> yeah, that, that's actually amazing. I never thought of yeah. the additional layer into the dynamic of being mm-hmm. a twin. And, yeah. you know, some sometimes it can go really well in terms of companionship, but then yeah. it can also be very rivalrous. <laughs> well, and the thing is, you're always, it's Rhea and my sister Trisha. It's always, you know. Right. You're always together. It's not me as a person or her as a person. Right. Well, it's hard to separate you two, especially for the first, what, 10 to 15 years of your life. Yeah, for sure. Wow. That's awesome. I never thought about that. (laughs) Um, Who inspires you most and why? Oh, who inspires me the most? There's a few people. I would say my mom. I would say my husband and my kids. Um, Just because they're so important to me. And and what about them inspires you? Um... And feel free to take a breath if you need. And there's yeah. also some tissue there if you, you need. need. A breath here. Um, no worries. That's so sweet. Yeah. I think for me with my mom, she's like an immigrant coming to this country trying to figure things out. Um, and she did it the best she could. And I think my husband inspires me because he's just he just keeps going. He never gives up. Always has a solution when there's a problem. Oh, Such you're a making quick me think. cry. Sorry, can I have a tissue? <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Thank you. <laughs> He's such a quick thinker, like always on his feet. Like there's nothing he can't do. So I think, you know, for me, I take that inspiration from him that there's nothing you can't do. It's right? So you true. just have to find a way and like keep doing it. And he does so much all the time and then he never seems to run out of energy. So I am envious of his energy as well and his his positive attitude is something that I aspire to have. He he just no matter what it is, he, he you know, he finds the bright side of things and that's a very hard thing for a lot of people to do. Mm-hmm. Um and to find the good in people. He does that too. So. I love yeah. it. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you. I, I I really mean this. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much for being transparent yeah. and open with us because it's so yeah. important yeah. to be able to share with other people mm-hmm. like what 
brings you motivation, what drives you. And I think you just sharing that and getting a little emotional about it shows that it comes from your heart. Um, Uh So it means a lot. Thank you so much for sharing that. No (laughs) worries. I appreciate it. Um, What experience would you describe in terms of your overall outlook and your life? Was there ever a specific turning point that made you change or that made you look back and say, you know what? things have to change something's got to be different um not that things needed to be different but I think um meeting my husband was a turning point for me when we started dating he's just so different than anyone I've ever met you Mm -hmm. know and it it, he made me start to question things like what kind of career do I want like what Mm -hmm. kind of life do I see myself having and I never really had thought about those things before I met him. So I think for me, that was a turning point when we started dating and then we got married after. It was really for me starting to plan for my future and um, thinking about kids, where do we want to live? What kind of life do we want to have? So I think those things, the wheel started turning um, when I met him and and really just starting to really be serious about what is it that I want to do in my time here on earth and what am I really going to do with my future. I love that so much. I, you know, I've, um, I've known you both for, for quite a while, Mm -hmm. but I actually feel that since you both have met your lives, not, not only as individuals, but as a couple Mm. have really, really progressed at such a great pace Mm. and just so much positivity and happiness. And I know a lot of people assume, you know, you don't know what's going on behind closed doors, but I think in, in reality, like, I always find that you guys support each other so much. And I think you kind of just validated Mm -hmm. that sometimes what you see, it's even better Mm -hmm. behind closed doors. So I I love that you're just able to be so open Mm -hmm. about sharing just your relationship and what pushes you forward and why you're here today. Yeah, thank you. What is the biggest challenge that you faced in your own journey? Um, I think self-doubt is the biggest challenge, Mm. you know, because like I said, I have people around me that know I can do it and like, you can do this, you can do this, you got the skills, you're super smart, but it's always that sometimes that voice being like, are you really smart? Can you really do this? So I think, you know, kind of challenging that voice and being like, yeah, I can. Let's move on with this. Let's keep it going. Right. Right. And putting one foot in front of the other, I think is something I really learned to do here. Like, yep. Okay, yep, that's a challenge. Got that. Let's keep going. Um, so, like, building that momentum and building, um, working through the hard things and working towards goals for me, right. too. Right, mm-hmm. right. That's awesome. What successful habits do you feel that you've acquired um, since the experience of, one, meeting your husband, but also coming to the realization that you don't need to doubt yourself and mm-hmm. you can push forward? What habits have you picked up? Um, so this is twofold as a a couple and then as like a parent. So as a couple, I think it was always important for us to really, and even this applies to the family life, knowing each other's schedule Mm. and knowing, you know, not that we need to know where each other is at every moment, but coordinating schedules is a really important part of your day. Um, and especially when you're sharing your time with someone, uh, and, and for us, I think also, um, having a routine. So like getting up, doing whatever morning routine it is, um, whether is it eating together or having like a quick coffee or, you know, if we're really busy, just saying a quick hi, hello, kiss, get your day started. Um, I think those things have really helped us, um, as a couple and as a family to really keep on track. Um, 
as well, trying to do like, you know, um, incorporate some sort of wellness, whether it be um, physical fitness, like the gym, or even just going for walks as a family has been, um, I think, a, a great thing for us as well. And you involve the kids in that? Yes, That's we great. do. We do. Sometimes I go on my own too, though, right? So as, as well, learning that I can't have time on my own and he can have some time on his own. So carving out that individual time, whether it be five minutes, whether it be an hour. Um, so finding that time as well in the day to really spend time on ourselves, I think has been helpful um, because I know that for myself, when I don't have that time, I'm like, I need this. Right. <laughs> right. So I think those have been things that we have done together to be successful and get a routine kind of going for the day. Balance. Exactly. Yeah. That's great. What personality trait do you feel has helped you overcome general challenges in your life? Um, I think my type A personality, like I'm very, <laughs> I'm very, anyone who knows me knows I'm very organized, potentially overscheduled. Um, you know, I know exactly what I want to do and how I want to do it. So a bit of stubbornness as well. Um, but I think these things have helped me on my path and sure. really stay focused and do what I like to be doing. <laughs> I love it. So in in terms of what you like to be doing, I, mm -hmm. I definitely want to talk about how you kind of ended up in the career that mm -hmm. you're in. So can you tell us a little bit more about how you evolved your career and what you do today? Okay, so I started working um, in the field of autism and I stayed there for about 10 years. Oh, wow. Um, started working as an instructor therapist and then moved um, in center and then moved from in the in center into working in the school. Okay. Um, they called a section 23 classroom. Um, so trying to integrate the kids into the school and get them going to class. And that was a wonderful experience, really learning how the school works and Seeing the kids in a different environment for me, I think, was really amazing. Um, and then from there, I became a supervisor and then really um, having the responsibilities as not only looking after, you know, the the kids clinically and making those decisions, but being more integrated with the families and um, having to build that rapport with families. And that was for me where I kind of felt like... I wanted to do no more, but I couldn't mm. uh, because that was outside of my role in terms of the family. And, and sometimes the dynamics were difficult and I didn't have really the skills or knowledge to like help them work through some of these things. Um, so for me, I decided, you know, I think it's time for a change. Um, so I decided to pursue my master's um, in counseling uh, psychology and good for you did that I think what two and a half year program with a an eight month practical portion like working with clients with a supervisor um, close by and um, yeah here we are like congratulations now, thank you now I'm out here working so <laughs> that's amazing yeah. what do you specialize in so in terms of specialize, I think it's important to remember when we're talking about therapy, when you say you specialize something, you need to have the qualifications to back that up. Right. So as of right now, I like to think of myself as a generalist. So okay. I work with um, a lot of people that have anxiety or depression or have, you know, difficult family relationship dynamics, um, romantic relationship issues. And I also work with a lot of uh, BIPOC individuals, so Black, Indigenous, people of color, for those that don't know what that means. Um, and in that realm, I also deal with a lot of cultural issues, like working with maybe their parents are immigrants and they have a lot of expectations on their their, their kids. Um 
And um, in terms of, you know, certs and stuff that I have, you know, I have done uh, Gottman level one and two. That's like the couples um, stuff. I'm looking to do um, a cert with for uh, emotion focused therapy um, and looking to do some EMDR training in the future. So since <clears throat> having graduated with your master's, yes. you are now a registered psychotherapist qualifying. qualifying. Yes. Right. Okay. And then I just want to break down the difference um, okay. for some of our listeners. Mm -hmm. You know, some of our listeners don't really know the difference between a psychotherapist, a psychiatrist, a mm -hmm. psychologist, yeah. um, or even now a life coach. So yes. can you kind of, um, mainly in the field of psychology, yes. what is kind of the difference between a psychotherapist and, and the others? Okay. There's also like counselor. So in terms of um, a psychotherapist and what my scope of practice is, um, you know, people would usually, clients would come to me for you know, more long-term sort of issues in terms of maybe unpacking um, some long-term family difficult dynamics or maybe anxiety, things that take maybe a little longer to sort of um, work through. And when I say longer, maybe like, let's say four months to over a year sometimes. And in terms of frequency of sessions, we can talk about that too in a bit in terms of like what that might look like. Um, so that's what a psychotherapist really does. Um a psychotherapist cannot diagnose um, mental health issues. Okay. Um, that would be done by a psychiatrist or a psychologist. Uh, and, and those two individuals as well, they can do, um, they can prescribe medication. That's not something that I can do. Right. Um, so that is the main difference there. And as well, you know, with... Um, psychiatrists and psychologists like those things are covered by OHIP and like but you need a referral and there's like longer waits and stuff too with that kind of stuff in Ontario um and in terms of when you think of a counselor um you know they're really looking at more short-term like problem specific so let's say um you're changing careers and right. you know I don't know what to do next like a counselor can help you for maybe three to four sessions you can guys maybe can do some um you know, non-diagnostic assessments to kind of figure out where your skill sets lie. And then you can sort of do that, right? So it's more short-term kind of counselor. Psychotherapists can do more long-term stuff, but okay. not diagnose. And then psychiatrists and psychologists can do diagnostics and uh, prescribing medication. Okay. Does that make sense? It makes total okay. sense. So I actually want to ask you two questions that kind yeah. of came out of your answer. Sure. The first one is in terms of medication, given that yes. you are not qualified to diagnose mm -hmm. or prescribe medication yes. for any individuals who have mental health mm -hmm. issues, does that necessarily mean that they can't see you? Is there still a benefit? Mm -hmm. And how would they benefit from your services? Yeah, so I see some clients who are on medication, some who are not. Just because I'm not the one that's prescribing it doesn't mean that we can't work together. Right. Um, in terms of medication, like I said, you could even talk to your family doctor about medication if you're sort of worried about dosage or, you know, side effects. That's definitely something something you can talk to about a doctor in terms of what that might look like and like how to start a medication. Typically, you'd be kind of like weaned on it. And then if you were going to stop, you would do that as well through a doctor and they would help you wean off of it. Um, in terms of my role in, in, with the medication, you know, therapy is a space that we can talk about some of the fears that you have around medication and maybe being uncomfortable with 
you know, wanting to go on medication for whatever the reason may be. So in terms of the work that I can do around medication, we can talk about how you're feeling about that. Um, But yeah, I would recommend that people, if they do really have questions about dosage and stuff, see your family doctor, see a psychiatrist, see a psychologist, because they're specifically trained to deal with um, like dosages and side effects and things like that. Right. And would you also say that psychotherapy is a good supplement or even complement to someone who may be already seeing a psychologist or a psychiatrist. Absolutely. So oftentimes when they do see a psychologist or um, psychiatrist or a psychologist, um, they'll do their formalized assessments. And usually at the end of assessments, there's recommendations. Okay. So oftentimes they might recommend medication. They might also recommend seeking therapy. Okay. And that's where I would come in, right? You would see a, a psychotherapist to talk through whatever issues in conjunction with medication. Great. Um, And, you know, part of my role is if my clients would like, I can liaise with their doctor or psychiatrist about their medication and that progress. And I find having that open communication with other professionals is helpful to the client because we kind of all know what's going on. And it's not like broken telephone where maybe the client's telling me, but forgetting like, oh, I don't remember what they said. Just talk to them directly. And as as long as the client gives... um, their go-ahead, we can get that process started and like liaise with what other professionals that would be um, important for them to be, yeah, in, in, in their care. I love that because there are many times when I was recovering from a motorcycle accident mm-hmm. where I had, I'm not kidding, more than 10 practitioners in any given week, mm. but because they weren't communicating with one another, yeah. and at this time I didn't know it was a possibility, Yeah, but there was a lack of communication Mm -hmm. in terms of what one person was trying to accomplish with me and what the other. Mm -hmm. Sometimes there were crossovers in the actual prescribed medication and they wouldn't know that they conflict Mm. um, simply because there's no communication. So I think I I love that you're open to communicating with other professionals. Mm -hmm. I think it is an additional layer of work, but one that goes a very long way. Mm -hmm. So I think that's great that you offer that option. No worries. And and just to follow up that before we move on, like terms of it being work yes but no it's a simple I'd ask my clients hey like they would usually come and say hey could we do this yeah sure I just need you to sign a release form great give me the information and we're off to the races so it's it's really not that much work to really have that extra care I love that um so my second question from earlier is what are the pros and cons that you see in medical care that you feel could change or be improved uh, in terms of, like, in the therapy realm, or what do you mean specifically in terms of? So earlier we were talking a little bit about the difference between the different um, the practitioners, mm-hmm. professionals, mm-hmm. yes. And I'm wondering if you see any gaps, because earlier you also mentioned that there's a bit of a wait time when you need mm-hmm. to see a psychiatrist or a psychologist, mm-hmm. or even if you have a referral, yeah. that, that also invo- involves a waiting period. Yeah. Are there any gaps that you see in medical care that could be resolved so that people are either seeing a professional quicker? Mm, Yeah, the wait times are um, an issue. I don't remember exactly what they are at the moment uh, because when you're going through OHIP, sometimes there's there are waitlisted um, services. Um, So that is a definitely a negative there Um, in terms of other stuff uh, I see. Um, I do think that communication piece is um, 
between professionals is a downside because things can get lost. Like you said, you were on meds that were contraindicated because you're seeing 10 professionals. Right. Um, is there like a big database we can put everybody in and like have communication? That would no. be ideal. <laughs> that would be that awesome. That would be ideal. <laughs> but yeah, there there are some gaps uh, in, in mental health care right now. And it's unfortunate that some people are falling through those cracks because they don't know how to navigate the system, because they don't know there might be other options that um, they could play, pray, uh, pay, you know, outside OHIP for and all those things, because then there's other things to consider with that as well, right? Like in terms of finances, do you have the money, your budgeting? So I think that it, it's, there's quite a few areas I think need improvement in terms of mental health care. Well, I think the benefit for you or mm -hmm. going with you is yes. that you are not paid by OHIP. No. So if I were to seek your services, mm -hmm. I we would ha manage that relationship yeah. and I wouldn't need a referral. It would be, nope. I can reach out to you. Yeah. I pay you for your services yes. and yeah. I don't need to wait unle nope. unless you have a huge waiting list. I do not have a waiting list. <laughs> That's amazing. So, so you can get in quickly. <laughs> so if anyone needs a psychotherapist right. and we'll definitely leave you with that information later. For sure. Um, okay. Thank you so much for clarifying that. No what are some of the specific services that you offer? Um, so I provide uh, individual and couples counseling um, for my services, psychotherapy services. Um, in terms of what that might look like, would that be something of interest maybe to talk about the process in terms of how Absolutely. people might go about doing that? Okay, so in terms of working with me, you know, I do free 15-minute consultations because I think it's important for people to really have a good feel Yes. for the person they're working with. Um, An interview with your therapist. For sure. And I want people Absolutely. to know they have that power to say yes or no to someone. Just because I'm your first call doesn't mean I'm the best call for you, right? Agreed. I would love to work with you. But if we're not mixing, well, maybe there's someone else that's a better match. Obviously, I would love you to work with me. But being sensical, sometimes personalities don't match. Sometimes maybe the issues that you're coming in with are outside of my scope. Um, so it'd be in your best interest if I maybe referred you to someone else. Um, so yeah, I do a 15 minute referral. Um, in that 15 minutes, I just kind of want to find out really, you know, what currently is going on and why are you seeking therapy? Like we don't need to get into like super detailed, but give me like a general, like what's going on, right? Is it anxiety? Is it family stuff? Is it depression? Like what, what is it exactly? Um, and also in that time, I like to kind of figure out or ask people, what are some goals? If you could, you know, have some goals for therapy, what would they be? They don't need to be, you know, full thought out, just a general idea. Right. Um, what do you want to work on? Um, and then from there, I tell them a little bit about myself. And if they have any follow-up questions, I'm happy to to answer those. Um, once we finish that, if they want to continue work with me, they give me the go-ahead. I'll send intake forms. Once they fill in the intake forms, we can get the ball rolling and, you know, do our first session. Our first session would be an intake session. So the intake session is a little bit different than your regular, regular therapy session in terms of um, it's really finding out more the background stuff, like who you are, because we're, we're strangers, right, at this point. So it's really finding out, you know, who are you as a person? Like, where did you grow up? Like, maybe talking about your family, your friends, your work, as well as the current issues that are going on in your life. Um, I also like to find out about current level of functioning. So, you know, what's your sleep like? What's your eating patterns like? Those sorts of things, because yes, I'm not a, you know, nutritionist or whatever, but 
Sometimes if someone's skipping meals, okay, maybe that's why this mm. is playing into this or that. Just getting a full picture of what's going on. If you're only sleeping an hour a night, okay, maybe that explains some other stuff or maybe that's making this part of our work difficult. So talking about um, those sorts of things too, I think, in that intake. Uh, and then once we do our intake, we got we just go into regular therapy sessions after. Um, so I like to tell people just be you, just come in. Uh, I know there's sometimes there's nerves um, in the first like real therapy session, but you know I often kind of start with a what do you need today, right? Right? What's on your mind today? And does that do you find that that helps break down the nerves a little bit yeah. for future sessions? For sure, right? It helps disarm people, and you know it's like okay, this is not I don't have to bear my soul. In this first session, right. no, you don't have to bear your phone. So, <laughs> like, you don't have to go to therapy, you know, telling everybody your deepest, deepest, darkest secrets. It's not, you know, the first thing we do off the bat, right? If it's important for our work, at some point, maybe we'll get there. Right. But, you know, I like to do it gently, like, slowly. We build up to things. And part of the process, the important part of the process is... Um, the relationship between therapists and clients so that we call it the therapeutic alliance and that's one of the things that really I think um, is important for change and for growth in in the client space um, because you have to trust the person you're telling these things to that was my next yeah. question my <laughs> next question was really about trust how do you build that trust with your client mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. there is a huge stigma about she's yeah. a stranger I don't want to tell <laughs> yeah. her all my business so how do you build that trust how do you make them feel safe how do they even know they're safe with you mm -hmm. well I think for me I use my personality I bring my authentic self into the, the therapy space and I'm not all buttoned up and yeah okay you know because people think that's what people think therapists are and they're so afraid to to go into the therapy room and be like this person's a robot and they don't really care about me and what's going on and they just want a paycheck <laughs> no this is not what I do you know I bring my personality your ther listen people your therapist is human too and don't let them fool you otherwise <laughs> they're real people with lives and they're people. I've seen at her dance at weddings, by the way. <laughs> at the end of the day, they're real people. And I think it's important to remember that. And uh, bringing myself as a therapist and a person into the space, I think, helps people um, trust me as a therapist. Um, and I think also being honest with clients. When I'm, you know, working with them and sometimes they'll see something, I'll be like, can we pause a second? Like, mm. I'm noticing something. Are you noticing this? Just drawing their attention to things that maybe they're not seeing or feeling, or maybe they are and they're scared to say, like, oh, I'm feeling this way. And, you know, also I like to tell clients, you know, when I'm working with you, if I see that maybe you're upset or uncomfortable, I might ask you if you're okay, if there's something you need for me to do for you in the session, or, you know, do you want me to stop talking? Do you want me to, like, have a quieter voice? Do, you, do we need a hand signal? Like, what is it that you need? So, uh, you know, really... Getting clients to tell you what they need, I think, is a great way to build that trust and t let them know that you are there for them and you do care about what happens to them. And they are real people with real problems and everybody has problems. You know, that's the other thing, just validating their feelings and be like, that is hard and that does suck. Right. Right. And any normal person in this whole world would be like, yeah, that does suck. Right. And maybe you're not the only person going through whatever it is you're going through. So I think normalizing their experience as well, I think, um, is really important in the therapeutic space. And nine times out of ten, there's other people experiencing what you're experiencing. This episode is sponsored by Mishfit Lifestyle Coaching. 
Mishfit prioritizes your mental health along your fitness journey. Mental strength determines physical results because any and every success starts with your mindset. Visit at Mishfit underscore lifestyle underscore coaching on Instagram today and DM her with promo code LEMONADE10. That's LEMONAID10 for 10% off Mishfit's personal training package. This offer is for a limited time only, so get started on your fitness and mental wellness goals today. I love that because it also it, it makes you you saying mm-hmm. that you you're human, you've got problems. Yeah. It makes you that much more relatable mm-hmm. for the average human being. So, yeah. thank you for for being very honest about that. <laughs> How long have you been in this field? Uh, I would say a year now. Okay. Uh, you know, and it's been quite the journey Mm -hmm. um you know obviously entering into the therapy space as a therapist you don't know what to expect like how am I going to help people with all these big problems right and you know I've really learned that just meet people where they're at right right like maybe they're having a crap day today and they just need you to be like you okay yeah (laughs) right like what can I do for you today do we just sit here and kind of just do I, like in silence, do you need silence? Right. Like letting, letting clients, not even letting, I don't want to say the word let, but informing clients that they have the power to decide what happens in this therapy space, I think is so empowering because sometimes people don't know that they can say yes or they can say no or they can say I don't like that or... That's very helpful to know because mm-hmm. even myself, I forget that in mm-hmm. my own sessions. Yeah. So that's actually a really great reminder. Yeah. Um, just for individuals who might be curious, mm-hmm. what are your qualifications like? Okay, so I have a um, bachelor's in psychology. Um, I also have a master's in counseling psychology, um, and that's my most recent qualification. Um, like I said, I'm working on a few certifications, the biggest one being EMDR. Hopefully fall, early next year, I'm going to do that one. Great. Um, as well as I finished the Gottman Couple certification as well to work with couples. That's awesome. Yeah. I actually didn't know there was a Gottman. We're, my partner and I are currently yeah. reading a Gottman novel or yeah. self-help help book. Yeah. But I think I, I had no idea that there was an actual Gottman certification program. Yes, there is. Like, you know, I'm, there's like how many levels, whatever, like three or four levels. I'm at the beginning phase. But there is a, a certification process that um, therapists can become a Gottman certified Couples therapist. That's great. Yeah. Good to hear. Okay. What does your personal program currently look like? And I know it might vary from individual to individual yeah. or even topic of interest, but uh-huh. what's the difference between some of the programs that you have to offer? Um, in terms of, um, let's say, the, with the way I work with clients, so in terms of modalities, not ex- necessarily programs. So um, the modalities I use to work with clients varies. So I like to tell people it's individualized because you're an individual and you're unique and it's not you know you get this you it's not like one size fits all um so I like to use a few different things so I like to use uh cognitive behavior therapy so CBT um I find that very useful in terms of working through you know sometimes negative thoughts and behaviors and trying to shift thinking and do some challenging exploration I also like to use acceptance and commitment therapy so ACT um I find that useful when you know, there are people or clients, you know, 
they're worried about the future, they're worried about the past, but they're not in the present. So it's such a useful thing to get people to stay in the present and like work on what is going on now, you know, and, and realizing that we all have pain and suffering, it's not fully going to go away, but how do we sort of work through and sort of get to manage that stuff? Um, I also use elements of dialectical be behavior therapy, so DBT, in terms of um, when I'm doing uh, emotional regulation stuff with people, um, you know, some of the exercises there, kind of getting the emotions, because we have to stabilize before we do some of the tougher work, because okay. you can't be talking about major trauma when, you know, you're crying at just the thought of that makes sense. Opening up about it, right? So getting people stabilized in a place where they're safe uh, and grounded, I find those skills are really helpful. Um, and using a little bit of uh, emotion-focused therapy really to explore feelings. And um, I also like to kind of get people to label their feelings and kind of, you know, where are you feeling it in your body? So those are the ones that I usually use the most. Uh, not to say I won't pull from others, but the, I think I sit kind of there with that's what I use most of the time perfect and how long does it take to see growth mm -hmm. through some of your sessions and treatments so this I get all the time and like I said I don't know I can't tell you <laughs> There, listen, there, fair. there is no answer, right? Because, you know, working through this issue versus that issue, it'll take different lengths of time. But I would say expect to at least be working in therapy for like at least four to six months. Um, and even at that, I would say expect to go every like biweekly or every three weeks, I think. Um, when you have very large gaps in between sessions, you're not going to see a lot of change. You're not going to see a lot of growth because, you know, say I haven't seen you in two months. Well, now we're going to have to catch up and figure out what's happened to you in those two months, right? Right. And then there goes half our session. And now we only have half the time left to really work on what you want to work on. And then even with that, we may not be able to explore as much as we would because we had to spend time catching up. Uh, so those are things to consider, right? In terms of the frequency of sessions, what's going to work best for you, Um if you and realizing that longer session um, gaps may not be as beneficial. Um, so I think that would be something you talk to with your therapist about in terms of what are the frequency, what makes sense for you. Um, and, you know, sometimes maybe when you start, the frequency is biweekly. And as you start to see some changes, maybe you could go down to like every three weeks or once a month versus, you know, well, when you start to see some changes and you sort of feel better about what's going on. Um, so I would say just take it slow in terms of trying to figure out the frequency. Okay. Yeah. I do think, though, in the beginning, and we've we've talked about this in the past, mm -hmm. um, separate from this podcast, yeah. what are the benefits of seeing a therapist more frequently in the beginning versus mm -hmm. six months to a year from now? Yeah. So, you know, Seeing a therapist more frequently helps you build that rapport quickly. It helps you build a deeper relationship, I think, with your, your therapist and, and deepen that trust. Um, I think also you'll start to notice and feel changes a little bit quicker and a little bit sooner. Um, and in terms of how do you know things are changing, um, with clients, I ask them at the beginning, how do you know, how are you going to know that things are changing? How are you going to know that you're making like progress. steps towards growth yeah and progress so I like them to kind of pinpoint those things for themselves and also along the way if I start to see something like hey did you notice when we started used to do this but now you do this they're like oh yeah I didn't see that right so it's awesome just kind of pointing it out you know 
in a subtle way to them because sometimes it is hard to see the progress when you're doing so well and you're doing so much at once. Sure. Um, but yeah, that's kind of how I like to do that process with them. Awesome. And what does your ideal client look like? My ideal client is someone who wants to show up every session and when they show up, they're ready to go. Love this it. is not a me dragging you along situation. Um, you know, I think it's important to say in therapy, it is not the therapist's job to do the work for you. Agreed. You have to do the work. You know, and, you know, I think I can tell when I'm with a client and they're not feeling it and they're just like, they're just there. And I think that's a conversation to have as well. That's a, that's a moment you can say, hey, I'm noticing that, like, I'm doing a lot of the work here and I don't think, like, it doesn't seem like you're into this right now. What's going on? Like, you know, maybe something's happened and they haven't told you. Maybe, you know, maybe it's an off day. But giving them the opportunity to really see as to really see and really explore, like, why am I not in this right now? What's going on? I think that's also growth too. Talking about when things aren't going well. Mm. Right? Um, so my ideal client will show up, be ready to go, do the homework. I assign you, please. <laughs> And just a caveat for homework, because I know everyone's like, oh, the homework. Listen, if I'm assigning you homework, it's for a particular reason. Right. And I understand people are busy. I'm not going to give you something that's going to take you an hour to do. So realistic homework. Realistic. Like, it'll be like five, ten minutes or like throughout the week for 30 seconds, write down this or do this record or whatever. Like, I'm not trying to give you something that's nonsensical. I'm not going to give you something that is a waste of time or is not going to help us move the process forward. My reasoning for giving homework is that you know, maybe we've talked about something in session. We don't have enough time to continue. So listen, you're going to do this part on your own. And when we come back, we can talk about it. You know, what I'm hearing is that the homework is a free therapy session. You're essentially taking the resources yeah. to do on your own mm -hmm. when you cannot see a therapist for, mm -hmm. you know, you can't see a therapist every yeah. day, but you're working on yourself throughout the week until you can see yeah. your therapist next. So yeah. I think it only benefits one person and, that, and that's the client. Yeah. And it's part of the growth as well, right? Because you're not always going to have your therapist there. Right. You have to start doing stuff on your own and learning that you can do some of this exploration on your own. Of course, you come back and you see me the next session, but knowing that in between sessions, hey, I was okay and I did this homework. Okay. Right? And right. then we can, that gives us a point to begin and further explore and further um, work on your treatment goals. That's great. So hearing what your ideal client looks like, mm -hmm. I'm curious, what would you do with a client who is interested in doing some work on this self, but they don't really know how to navigate, or maybe they're a little bit skeptical mm -hmm. as to whether therapy or not is going to work for them or not. Mm -hmm. How would you manage a relationship with that type of patient or client? Um, well, I would say the, int like I said, the consultation is a great time for them to ask questions. So if they're skeptical, if they're like, I'm not sure about this, that would be their opportunity to sort of ask some questions. Um, and specifically, like, I wouldn't say, hey, we're going to do X, Y, Z to work on X problem because I wouldn't know the extent to the, of the issues. But we could kind of talk generally about typically we do this with someone with anxiety or this or this, right? Um, I would say ask the questions if you're not sure. Um, but I would also say if you're skeptical and you're just going to show up and not do the work, then what are you doing here? Right. Right? Like, maybe you're not ready, and that's okay, too. 
And what if you're not ready? Could they reach out at a later time? For sure. What can they do in between? Would you would you recommend some books for them to get a little bit more comfortable with the idea of therapy? What are your thoughts on that? I think YouTube is a great resource mm. um, in terms of maybe searching some of the, like, even some of the jargon that I talked about here. Go to YouTube. There's, like, some great, like, animated videos explaining the concepts. Love that. Um, like, even, like, Googling what's therapy like, I'm sure you will get, <laughs> like, a thousands of hits of people talking about their experiences. If you know people that have been in therapy, go talk to them. Mm, good idea. Uh, because... I think a lot of people have an idea of what therapy is, but when you talk to someone who's done it, they're like, oh, that is totally not what I was thinking. So talk to people you know. Um, I think that would be great too. And yeah, you can always do, um, get some books going. If there's any books that you, like even just going in, simple, just go to the bookstore and looking in there, um, not the self-help section, go to the, like the psychology section. Okay. Yeah, I think good to know. that's a good section to kind of just get your idea of, what are some things that might be in the therapy space? And do you find a difference? What is the difference between self-help and psychology? Because there there are yeah. a plethora of books that people can can go through. Yeah. But do you think the psychology section is more medical-based? Well, I think the self-help section is so overwhelming. Okay. Like, it's literally shelves and shelves and shelves and shelves. And you're like, what do I take from here? Um, I think the psychology section, one, is smaller, but it's written... Um, the authors are usually psychologists or psychiatrists talking about like, maybe you have an interest in bipolar disorder okay. or maybe you have an interest or maybe you have anxiety. You're like, I want to learn more about anxiety. I think that's a great place to start looking, um, about, to get information about specific, um, like issues that you might want to explore. That makes sense. Okay. Um, now, we talked a little bit about trust earlier, but now that we're kind of diving into the entire mm -hmm process of therapy um, and all the different types mm -hmm. I want to ask you specifically how are you able to keep your client information confidential and secure uh, so for me I use a, a secure platform um, and they have um, their secure what is it called oh man um Servers. servers. They have their servers and they're based in Canada. I think that's very important because we're in Canada and the information should be stored here. Um, and that is all secure. Nothing is stored on site. Um, there is nothing, there's no files for people to go through. There's nothing stored on my electronic devices at home. It's all there in their cloud and it's all secure. Um, it's also all password protected, two-step authentication. Um, so it's very difficult to get into that stuff. Um, and any of the information I collect is for um, like billing purposes and like even notes, like, you know, just keeping it, you know, pretty, pretty simple. Um, but I haven't had any issues in terms of storing notes and, um, even on my consent forms, I have the link to, um, their website where it explains how they store information. If anyone ever has any questions about the security of their information and like, I don't give anything out. I don't sell information, none of that stuff. That's great. I yeah. think it's really important to know that because if I'm going to trust you with some of my life's sure. deepest problems and trauma, yeah. I'd like to ensure and know that my information is safe. So yeah. thank you for sharing that. I, mm. I think, um, 
it's also really hard for people to navigate through switching from pen and paper to technology and just yeah. trusting the technology behind it. Yes. But that said, do you take any notes on paper still or is everything online, locked up, secure? Yeah, I don't want anything on any piece of paper that could potentially be seen by anybody. So I Great. don't I don't have any um, anything written down awesome. outside of those on the secure portal. <laughs> Great. And I think we talked about this a little bit earlier, but I'm, I'm going to ask it anyway. What specific modalities do you use with clients and what is your preferred style in terms of this whole therapeutic process? Yes. So we talked a little about the modalities yes. already. Uh, in terms of my preferred style, um, you know, I do keep a professional. Like I said, I do bring part of myself, though, in terms of my personality, um, you know, if there's an opportunity to challenge something a client is saying for the purpose of exploring it, I will. Um, you know, I'm I'm pretty straightforward, I think, with clients. Um, you know, I, I'm very clear that, you know, the purpose of therapy is not to give you advice. You know, I'm not going to solve your problem no matter how many times you ask me for an answer. <laughs> I'm not going to give it to you. <laughs> like... But you'll help someone find the answers themselves. Is that correct? Yes, because I believe everyone has it within themselves to explore these things and find the answers. You don't need me to tell you because you might already know. You just don't know that you know. Right? right? So I feel it's my job to help you explore, you know, certain areas of yourself in your life. It's also my job, I think, to really support you through that journey and know that if you fall, someone is there to support you. You like you're not doing this by yourself. So I think in that that clients know that they're not alone. I think it makes it a little easier exploring some of these things that are really scary and really tough and that they don't want to talk about all the time. Um, yes, does that answer? <laughs> yes, it does. Yes, it does. Thank you. I think by now our listeners have a relatively good understanding of what you are like as a therapist, but I'm curious. What do you feel makes you stand out from any other psychotherapist out there? Obviously, my personality. Like, Love it. <laughs> <laughs> Glowing, uh, vibrant right? personality. <laughs> no, really, I would say my personality. I would say how much I care about my clients and that I really do do as much as I can and support them as much as I can. And, um, you know, I, I like to bring my sense of humor as well into the, the space. And, you know, they'll tell you Rio always has a nice metaphor for something. <laughs> I'm probably sick of me and my metaphors, <laughs> You know, I always have a good metaphor and, you know, I, I think they enjoy their sessions with me and I, you know, generally I haven't had any negative feedback and I like to ask them, like, is there anything you we did that you didn't like today? Like, tell me, right? What did you like about today? Should we do more of this? Right? Getting their feedback, I think, also is really important and I think that is something um, I'm not afraid to do with them and I think they recognize that, that they do have the power and they can have the safety to be like, you know what, Rhea, that did not work for me today. Please, let's not do that again. Okay, I hear you, right? So and there's I, nothing wrong with that. There is nothing wrong with that. Like, please tell me. I, I, I tell them I would hate to keep doing that same sort of activity and you're like, I hate this, mm -hmm. right? You know, and that's how people say, you know, that therapist sucks because, you know, they kept doing X, Y, Z and I didn't like it. Well, did you tell them? No. Well, how would they know? Mm -hmm. Right? So I think that's part of the process that people don't know. You can tell your therapist, I don't really like this, or I'm not really feeling this, or even just saying, I'm uncomfortable. Right? I think that's a phrase that some people are afraid to say that, just tell me. 
So I, I think my clients know that they can tell me and be open and honest. And I'm not going to take personal offense to anything that you've said. This is your therapy session. And if the time is not being spent the way as, you'd like, then we need to do something about that. And that's it. And it's totally valid and okay from your perspective yeah. to switch it up for in their favor. Of course. And, you know, like I tell them, you know, all my clients, like it's flexible. Like we might come up with a rough plan, but it's not set in stone. If we're mm -hmm. doing something, it doesn't work. Okay, we try something else. Oh, we didn't like that. Oh, let's try something else. Like, I'm always willing to try something else or do something else or find a different activity. Like, I've t people have told me, I hate mindfulness. Okay, you hate <laughs> mindfulness. Journaling. <laughs> I hate journaling. Well, okay, you hate journaling, you hate mindfulness. What do you like? No. Uh, just <laughs> but no, really, though, if they don't like those sorts of things, okay, well, what do you like? Right? Or do you not like, why, what don't you like about those? And oftentimes it's that, their minds are too busy and they can't. Okay, well, maybe we need to do something else where... So there are other alternatives and options that you can For offer. Sure. That's that's great to hear yeah. because I do often hear from people, <laughs> you know what, therapy is not for me because yeah. I don't want to journal. I don't want to meditate. You don't and, have to. <laughs> right. That, that's actually really interesting to know. But also, in terms of what you don't have to do, sometimes yeah. it's something that you can grow into. And I say that yeah. from personal experience. Mm -hmm. It took me about 10 years of therapy before yeah. I was ready to explore mindfulness and journaling. Mm -hmm. Yes, I do it now. Mm -hmm. I'm still not 100% fond of it, but That's I'm true. trying it because I've exhausted or mm -hmm. at least outgrown some of the other resources. Mm -hmm. So I'm in, an, I'm in an area where I'm open to exploring that. Yeah. And even I find, you know, maybe somebody when I started with them, we didn't have the rapport for them to trust me enough I see. to try these things. So maybe session two, we try something and they're like, mm, I'm not comfortable. Okay, that, and I'll honor that. I'm like, okay, let's see if we can do something else. But like session seven, we tried it. And they're like, yeah, that was great. Remember in session two when you, <laughs> you told me no, but it's true in terms of learning the trust and to trust your therapist and building the rapport. Mm -hmm. Sometimes maybe they weren't ready for the activity. Maybe it'll be okay to try it later. So. There could be another issue, mm -hmm. which is stigmas. Mm -hmm. I really want to talk about that because for a lot of people, it might not be about trust or mm -hmm. being prepared for others. It's just breaking down that stigma. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I hear a lot of people sometimes say, there's nothing wrong with me. I don't need therapy. Mm -hmm. I want to try and break down that stigma a little bit. Why do you think it exists? Um, you know, looking at the society we live in, um, I think currently social media plays a large mm. part in that. And, you know, everything looks perfect and, you know, filtered. And we're expected to you be these perfect robots that fit in this box. And when people don't fit in that box, oh, well, there's something about that Gabriella. She's not quite normal. She's not that, you know, and none of that's true about you. Just say, but <laughs> you, you know what I mean? You know, there's that plays into it too. And the pressure mm. I think in society and for someone to say, Oh, I'm taking meds. Like what? You're taking meds. Like, shh, don't say that. Don't tell anybody that. Well, why? Why not? Why not? Right. If you need meds to function, then do like who cares? Absolutely. Right? If I have pain, yeah, I want medication, and and mm -hmm. trust me, I don't like taking medication yeah. in general. But if I have severe, yeah. excruciating pain, mm -hmm. give me those pain meds, mm -hmm. and it's the exact same thing for mental health, is yeah. it not? Yeah, and you know, listen, whether you're taking meds or not taking meds, I don't really care, right? I will work with you either way. For me, it's just important for you to know that if you are on meds and you've made that choice. 
I'm going to respect that choice and that's fine and that's great and we can still work together and you shouldn't be, you know, made to feel ashamed or you shouldn't be made to feel guilty because you're taking meds, right? And I think that's part of, you know, the stigma about mental illness is don't talk about it, don't tell anybody about it. And especially the other element too is that cultural piece, right? So, you know, especially right. I find this in BIPOC individuals with, you know, parents that may be immigrants coming from whatever country and they they're like you know i worked hard i made this life for you and you can't manage because you're sad just get up and go to work right not realizing that that is such a harmful thing to say to someone who's depressed just get up and go well they physically can't get up and go so then what does that tell them about themselves that they're lesser than or they're not worthy because they can't just do it like everybody else and who's to say who's who is it like you know you have to do it like everybody else that's boring to be like every. What's the saying? Be, if being if you could be someone, be Batman because being whatever. You know what I mean? What is the saying? I'm messing it up. I don't know it, but now I, but now like I want to know. Is, if you could be someone, be Batman because it's just such a unique person, right. right? I think the idea behind that is be you and be unique, and you know the stigma of don't talk about mental illness and don't take your meds, and you know when people listen to family members that are saying, oh well, you know. Mm, that Gabby, you know, because they don't understand how right. harmful some of these things are. And it puts such pressure on people to be perfect all the time because they feel they can't be themselves and they can't talk about mental illness. Like mental illness is not a, you know, a bad word. Right. Right. And it has that connotation that it's something dirty or something that we shouldn't talk about. And that's, that's not true. And, and for me, it's important to, to really talk about that stuff. And, you know, especially for people who are BIPOC and where their communities don't really allow the freedom to, to speak freely sometimes about these things. And they're made to feel, um, like I said, ashamed and it's just not a good feeling. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, I think the major issue, the major things we're looking at here is like social media influence, like, um, I think family also influences with culture. Um, and then even like people, the third thing I think is internalizing that stuff too. As a person, you feel like you're not you're not living up to society's expectations. You're not living up to family's expectations. Um, so that all those three things I think mixed together have play a huge role in this, this uh, mental health stigma we have. I definitely think cultural plays a big piece into the stigma mm -hmm. because even before social media existed, um, I know social media was relatively new for us, yeah. maybe in our teens, yeah. but we had already a huge stigma and foundation mm -hmm. from our background, yeah. whether it was our parents, our upbringing, mm -hmm. and society as a whole. Um, do you think that the stigma is true that some people don't need therapy? Do you think there everyone can benefit from mm -hmm. it and how? I think everybody should go to therapy. That's my personal opinion. That's my professional opinion, actually, that everyone should partake in therapy. Um, you know, the benefits outweigh the costs, really. You know, you'll learn you can learn communication. You can learn to just talk about your feelings. Like, a lot of people don't even know how to label what they're feeling. Agreed. Right? A lot of people, how are you doing today? Good. Good's not an emotion. I've, I've said that to people. That's true. That's not an emotion. How are you feeling today? Happy, right? sad, mad. I have a little I have a little thing called an emotion wheel and I pop it up and I'm like, when I say how are you today, these are some things you can say. And not to shame them for not knowing that, but this is how we can start to learn to label our emotions. I love that. Yeah. 
do you think it helps people understand themselves better? Yeah. So once you're able to articulate, I think mm-hmm. for some people, it becomes a little bit of a light bulb moment. Mm-hmm. Like even, and sometimes I pair the labeling, once they're comfortable labeling emotions, pairing that with sensations in your body. Okay, so you said you're happy. Where do you feel that in your body? Mm. Right? Where do you feel when you're sad? Where do you feel when you're angry? And I have this other chart. It's like um a body map of emotions, the colors. So when you're angry, you feel it all here and it's all red and yellow. And when you're happy, it's here and it's this color. And, you know, I find those visuals really help people pinpoint these things because when you're in a state where you're so unregulated, you don't know what it, what it feels like to be happy versus sad versus angry. Everything is just kind of this ball of twine that is You need help unwinding. And that's where therapists come in. Like, you know, I like to say, you know, our problems are like this big thing of twine. And people kind of hand it to me and together we kind of unravel it. And it tends to, and then, you know, um, it makes sense that way. Right? And that's my job is to help your crazy ball of twine become that neat ball and like make sense. I love that. So how beneficial is therapy when you're in different stages of your life. So I can understand when there is a diagnosed mental illness Mm -hmm. and they've been referred to you, or maybe they're going through something very challenging Mm -hmm. in their lives Mm -hmm. that they could really use professional support in. But how about just the everyday individual checkup i'll call it everyone goes to the doctor Mm -hmm. you know for an annual checkup a physical i think is what we call Mm -hmm. it professionally yeah um is there such thing as an annual mental health checkup uh Yes and no. So I would say an annual checkup. I would say, you know, when I when I work with clients and they meet their treatment goals, you know, we do something called a termination session. You know, we talk about, you've done great work, Gabby. This is what we've done. We talk about what we've done. And then we kind of do check-ins. So, you know, when you feel like you need to talk about something or you feel like, I need to check in, you come and you can see me, right? Um, and even thinking of people, you know, that are, let's say you've gone through a divorce. Okay, going from... A single person to a married person to now back to a single, that's a big deal, mm-hmm. right? Going from someone who maybe had no kids to now your parent, that's a big deal. Right. Going from someone who was in their 30s, 40s, and now you blinked, you're in your 50s, almost in your 60s, and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm kind of in that, not your end phase of your life, but like, you know, closer to the end than you are the beginning. Like looking at the issues that come with that stuff too, right? So I think it'd be beneficial in all phases of your life to really do some exploration and examining. And you learn so much about yourself um, through this process. I love this because my (laughs) next question for you is why is it important to understand Mm -hmm. yourself? It just makes things easier, I It think. does. I mean, yes. I know that because I go to therapy. Yeah. But for individuals who haven't been to therapy, mm-hmm. can you p- unpack that a little bit? You know, think about how easy it is when you know yourself to set boundaries with someone. You know that I like when they do this. I don't like when I do this. And you know that you have the power to say no or yes because you know yourself so well, right? You know, it's important to engage with therapy because, you know, you learn to communicate better with others, right? Interpersonal skills are a real big thing right now. And, you know, coming out of the last few years that we've had where it's everyone's been on a screen, you don't realize till you meet someone in person how some awkward some of these exchanges can be, right? Mm-hmm. And realizing that 
we haven't been using those skills. So maybe, maybe I need to go see my therapist for a couple of sessions to talk about communication and how I can reestablish positive communication with people, right? Or even working on like, someone's told me like, I'm, I'm really awkward when we're talking. Like, do you notice that? How can I work on that? And I think it's important to want to work on mm-hmm. your own personal skills. Um, and I encounter a lot of people, I have to admit, who say, but I don't care about what that other person thinks or feels. Mm-hmm. It's not my responsibility. Mm-hmm. What advice do you have for individuals who might think that way or have that perspective? Listen, other people's feelings are not your issue, right? Your feelings You need to know how you feel. But with that said, you also need to know how you make other people feel. You may say, I don't care how they feel, but you need to know that when you speak to someone this way, that hurts their feelings, right? And why does that matter to me? Let's say, I just hurt your feelings. Mm -hmm. Why does it matter to me to know that I was the cause of your pain? Because I feel when people don't take responsibility and they don't explore these things... It builds up, right? Is there for, a, for for me? It would build up. Yeah. Is there okay. a reason why you don't care about other people's mm. feelings in your past? Good is there point. a pattern of other people disregarding your feelings and not validating your feelings? Maybe, and maybe that's something we can talk about and explore because maybe you don't see that. You know, I don't know. In grade six, so and so said this, and you felt like this way, and you're from that day on, you're like, no, I'm not going to care about anybody or anything. So well, you almost uncover some blind spots in the process. Yeah, it is It is a real process. And I think, you know, sometimes people come in saying they want to do this, but they're like, actually, we end up working on this, mm. right? So sometimes it's a process where it looks like this, we go here, but we'll come back, right? Like it's this kind of circular thing sometimes or sometimes, or it's kind of, sometimes it's like this. <laughs> <laughs> Looks different for everyone, I'm sure. It does look different for everybody, but I, I think it is ex- important to know who you are as a person, and, and that makes you, you know, when thinking about, you know, whether you want to be in a relationship with someone, or maybe you've decided you want to be alone, well, what kind of person are you? You're going to be alone with yourself a lot. Like, what kind of person are you, right? Versus when you're coupled with somebody as well, what kind of person are you with that person? It's important to know. I think it's just important to know who you are and what you want and your values and how you walk around in this world. And how about how you perceive the world? So Mm -hmm. how you carry yourself in the world is one thing. Mm -hmm. Then there's the other issue of I feel shitty all day every day or Mm -hmm. maybe I'm extra depressed Mm -hmm. um, at certain times of the month as a woman or maybe even depressed um, seasonally. I know for a lot of people who experience pretty harsh winters, Mm -hmm. um, how does perspective play a role in how you receive your environment? Um, You know, I think when you're in a certain headspace, sometimes you can't receive some of the good things that are happening. Mm. Um, You know, sometimes for some people, it's all doom and gloom, whether it be because of the winter months or whether it because it's close to your menstrual cycle, whatever it is. Um, I think therapy can help you. We can track those moments. Like, what days are you feeling like this? What's happening when you're feeling like this? Like, getting that information um, to help figure out what's going on, right? And if it's something you'd like to change, we need to figure out why it's happening. And how to change it. Is that something that you would help a a client go through? Yeah, we could. Like, you know, like I said, I use CBT sometimes. That's a wonderful, you know, modality to use for challenging these thoughts of, well, is it really crappy all the time? Or like, 
can you think of anything that good that's happening? You know, like just trying to get them to think sometimes in a different way because sometimes it's like this. Like you just have these blinders on when you're sometimes in these modes and right. you don't have the ability, you don't have the skills to really get yourself out of it on your own and that's where a therapist might come in and say, okay, you're telling me like this is happening every month at this time. Okay, based on the data, you know, based on the data, it's looking like... This is happening this day, this time. Okay, what's happening? What are your emotions? What is your behavior? Like starting to really look at the nitty gritty of like what is happening. Right. Um, is something you can do with a therapist. And if it's something you want to problem solve, let's go. Like That's awesome. What is it that you want to do? What is it you see yourself doing? What, do you, what would you like your life to be like? In terms of when we're exploring things that are tough or trauma, um, it's not going to be the first thing we work on. Even if your goal is to explore a traumatic experience, I will tell you that will not be the first thing we work on. First, we have to stabilize you. We have to make sure you're in a safe space emotionally and like physically to be able to talk about these tough things. Um, you know, talking about grounding exercises. Um, for me with clients, I kind of set some ground rules. So, okay, you know, so if you show up in session and say, today, I want to talk about it. I'm like, okay, listen, we have to talk about some stuff first. Right. So maybe we'll say maybe next session. Is that okay if we do that? Because maybe this session we spend on talking about specific grounding exercises that work for you. Um, maybe we talk about how to keep you safe or feeling safe. Maybe we come up with a code word when if you're verbal, not able to verbalize that you're upset, maybe you put up your hand and say, stop, and I'll know that that we're too much. We got to move out of here, right? So I think it, it, you have to spend a lot of time as a therapist in the stabilization piece and making sure your clients are in a space before you talk about that. And once they are stabilized, you still have to spend a lot of time talking about what are the elements that we have to build into our session to ensure your, sa ensure your safety. So like, you know, for me, we start, we'll start off maybe with like a grounding exercise. We'll spend five minutes on that. And then I'll say, you know, whenever you're ready, maybe you can just where you'd like to start. Right. That. And then for me, I'll, kind of keep tabs on the timing and I'll keep tabs on the client and kind of noticing when you're talking, are you looking upset? Are you, is your breathing like increasing? Do I see tears? And I'll, so you're looking for cues. I'm as well. looking for cues and I okay. might stop you and say, Hey, Gabriella, do you mind if we pause here for a second? Like I'm noticing, you know, how are you feeling right now? Right. And that gives you an opportunity to really tell me if you're okay to continue, if we need to pause, if we need to stop. And all that's okay, right? Know that if we, we start to talk about something and it's too much, we're going to stop or we're going to pause. And then maybe for the day, that's all we talk about. And then I'll spend the, the, the last like 20 minutes. We'll again do some grounding, stabilization. Maybe we'll keep it light, talk about maybe what are your plans for the weekend. Just to like get you out of um, that space and make sure, you know, I might ask, you know, what does the rest of your day look like? Do you have any work meetings? Like, are you able to, like, spend some time alone? Or do you need that time? Or, like, what do you need? Do you need to go to a gym? So, like, finding out from you what you need if you're not feeling 100% by the end. Like, what can we do to make sure you're feeling okay to go throughout your day so you're not in this state of um, uncertainty? That makes sense. Yeah. For listeners who need your expertise, what advice would you have for them? You know, I would say... Book a consult. Just start the it's process. Free. It's free. Just start the process. You know, there's no harm in having a 15-minute conversation. If we're not a fit, we're not a fit. But just do it. Don't wait. Great advice. What motivates you to help others? 
Um, you know, I think it's really seeing the progress um, with clients and their small wins that turn into these big wins. And, you know, it's kind of like I work myself out of a job when they're like, well, you know, I think I'm feeling like I met my goals and I check. And I'm like, yeah, you have. Like, you've exceeded these goals. Okay, so now what? Okay, well, like, I think we're done or we take a break or, you know, I think it's that that sense of working myself out of a job and seeing that they don't need me any, anymore. It's... It's such a great, bittersweet, I'm it sure. Is, it is, it is. <laughs> if you had unlimited access to finances, what would you spend the rest of your life doing? Um, I would open a, um, like, home for, like, old dogs. And that Aww. could be therapy dogs, and people could come and have therapy sessions with them. I'd love on, that. like, a farm. I think that's what I would do. It is actually a huge component because I have a French bulldog. Mm -hmm. He's turning five and I have him because he was recommended by my therapist at mm -hmm. the time for therapeutic purposes. He's an emotional support animal. Mm -hmm. So essentially you would like a facility where you house emotional support animals to treat therapy or yeah we part of like therapy. it'd just be like a house and they can like walk around and be like Aww. oh today i want to see george okay george come on oh your person's here <laughs> so cute <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i love it well thank you so much for for spending so much time with us today yeah. and helping us educate our yeah. listeners um and really just sharing your personality because it's, it's a great <laughs> one and i love that people get to see it so thank, thank you. you for having me i am feeling so blessed to have been here today and i'm so glad i was able to re really just talk about especially that stigma piece i think it's a really important conversation so thank you for for doing that and having me absolutely and where can anyone find you on social media or how can they get in touch with you your website yeah so i have my website it's uh bridgepsychotherapy.ca i'm also on instagram it's at bridge.psychotherapy um and i'm on tiktok we're trying it um it's bridge.psychotherapy on tiktok as well i gotta follow you then <laughs> <laughs> sure Thank you so much for tuning in, everyone. Okay, bye. Bye. Thank you again for tuning in. And don't forget to subscribe, like, and share. Bye for now. And don't forget to make lemonade. This podcast is not a substitute for professional medical diagnosis or treatment. Listeners are encouraged to seek assistance from healthcare professionals on thelemonsaid.com or your nearest healthcare network. Crisis helplines are available to you 24 hours a day. Audio for the Lemon Said podcast was engineered and brought to you by Shoreline Sound Studios.